God's Word and think about the Holy Spirit being poured out in Pentecost this morning. And we're going to pick it up where we kind of um, read last week in Acts chapter 1. And we're going to read just verses 7 and 8 in Acts chapter 1. And then after we've read verse 8, we're going to jump down to chapter 2 and read from verses 1 down to verse 4. So that's Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. And then we're going to read in chapter 2, verses 1 down to verse 4. Let's listen to God's word together. Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And down in verse 1 of chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. And may God bless to us the reading of his holy and inspired word. So last week, we thought about the ascension. We thought about how Jesus, in that moment, ascended to heaven. It wasn't just him using a return ticket to get back to where he came from, but in it, we had his glorious coronation. And we thought about last week about the Jesus ascending to heaven. But in those verses that we've just read in, in chapter 1, we don't just have Jesus ascending to heaven. We also have another type of ascending. We have ascending out. Jesus ascended to heaven and then he sent out his disciples. So Jesus goes back to heaven in all glory to sit at the right hand of God the Father but we also see another ascending where he sends out his disciples. He sends them out with this mission, with this plan. And, and that is so important because we see in verse 8 the reason why Pentecost happened. We see in verse 8 the reason the Holy Spirit came. And it's simply this, so that we could be witness and bear witness, and be a witness to those around us for Jesus Christ. And as Jesus ascends to heaven for his glorious coronation, the first act that the King of kings and Lord of lords does is that he gives his Holy Spirit to empower his church. I was reading a few weeks ago, um, uh, on a wee blog on Facebook, and I came across uh, a comment from a friend who quoted this guy called Brian Sanders. And I don't know who Brian Sanders is, but I do like the quote that he says. And this is what he says, a worshiping community on mission is the church. A worshiping community on mission is the church. That is what the church is. 
It is those who worship the Lord and who tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is who we are meant to be, a people who worship Jesus and then who tell people about the one whom we worship. And Jesus says, you, you, you're going to be my witnesses and you're going to receive power upon you, but you have to wait. You're going to have to wait before you can embark on this mission that I am giving you to be my witnesses and to bear witness in my name, to be my ambassadors, to be my hands and feet, to be my body. You're going to have to wait before you begin to fulfill your purpose. And what are we waiting for? We're waiting for that power that they would receive when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Like I said, the reason for Pentecost isn't so that the church could feel spiritually good or, or, or so that we could have all these kind of spiritual languages and stuff. The purpose for Pentecost is so that, so that the church could fulfill her God-given purpose. That was why Pentecost happened, so that the church could fulfill her God-given purpose, so that we could be empowered, so that we could be the witnesses for Jesus, wherever we go. As we, think, as we think about these words, maybe from a verse from the Old Testament comes to mind when it says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And maybe actually we need to really contextualize that verse. And maybe, maybe for us here, we, what we could say is, not by committees, not by meetings, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. John Calvin said this, that the greatest task of the church is to be the visible witness of the invisible kingdom. The greatest task of the church is to be the visible witness of the invisible kingdom. We often read, and when we think about the Holy Spirit, a lot of us, if we've grown up in church, Especially if you grew up in the church where maybe you, um, you kind of grew up with the, the, the King James or the AV um, translations and versions of Scripture. When we think about the Holy Spirit, we think about someone who has come to bring comfort. And often that comes from John chapter 14 where the King James Version says this, where it talks about the Holy Ghost being the comforter. And I think this understanding from John 14 in the King James Version has actually really influenced how we view the Holy Spirit. It's become ingrained in our thinking that when we think about the Holy Spirit, we think of Him as a comforter. And when we think about that, obviously what we think of is, is consolation or, or, or peace or, or warmth that He brings or that He's going to you know, hold our hand and make everything feel okay. That he's going to comfort us. Which he does do. But that's not what John 14 verse 26 means. And that's not what the King James Version meant when it talked about the Holy Spirit being a comforter. In Old English, the word comforter means with strength. And that's how the King James Version translated the word paraclete. It used comforter, which meant in the Old English, it meant with strength. 
So this isn't about solace as much. But this is about an empowering and an strengthening that the Holy Spirit would bring as the comforter. He is the one who brings strength to the body of Christ. And what is it we read in Isaiah? A praise song that many people in our church love. That strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. And that's exactly what we see happen in Acts chapter 2, isn't it? That they're waiting. And then the comforter, as the old English translates, periclete with. Or the advocate, as the ESV says in John 14. The Holy Spirit fell upon them and empowers them and gives them strength. Because that is who the Holy Spirit is. That is what the Holy Spirit does. He empowers the body of Christ to carry out the mission of Christ. They gather, as we read in verse 1 of chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. They gathered you see, friends, again, we live in this world of increasing inclusion. But in this verse, this isn't just speaking about the Holy Spirit being poured out upon anyone and everyone. This is poured upon, it's been poured out upon the church. It's been poured out upon the followers of Jesus. And that's a really important distinction that we need to make. They were in a season of waiting. They had been waiting. Verse 14 of chapter 1 tells us that they were together with one accord and they were devoting themselves to prayer. They were in a season of waiting, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, just as Jesus had said, but also just as had been prophesied in the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2. The words we read this morning and words that Peter would go on to Quote in a sermon on the day of Pentecost later on in chapter 2. They were in a season of waiting and they had gathered. And the they is the, probably the 120 that's spoken of in chapter 1 verse 15. And what is it they are doing? Like I said, they're waiting. They have been together with one accord devoting themselves to prayer Friends, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Waiting isn't a passive action in the life of a believer. I think sometimes we use the biblical kind of language of let's wait and see what God's going to do as an excuse for not doing anything at all. I think sometimes as a church, we use the, the phrase, we'll just wait because we're too scared to take that next step of faith. And what do we do when we wait? I don't see any more prayer meetings happening. That's what they were doing. They were devoting themselves to prayer as they waited upon the Lord. And as they waited upon the Lord in prayer, what do we see happen on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. And as Isaiah says, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. 
That is what the Holy Spirit brings. He is the one who brings strength and power to the body of Jesus Christ. See, friends, in the waiting we worship, in the waiting we pray, in the waiting we press into the presence of God, in the waiting we call forth the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And as they waited and devoted themselves to prayer with one accord, can you not see the unity that is present here within them? Perseverance in prayer and unity. What happens? Verse 2, suddenly, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Suddenly. You see, they persevered in their waiting. There was no magic prayer or formula they could say to make God move any quicker because God is sovereign and God moves as God wills. But they waited and trusted because Jesus had said, you will receive power from on high in a few days' time. Suddenly, there came from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house they were sitting. I love suddenly moments. I love suddenly moments. God is the God of suddenly moments. Suddenly. Maybe they were doing what they were doing every other day. But that was the appointed time. And as they gather, they hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind and then they see tongues as of fire rest upon each of them. And in these verses, in the four verses that we read from Acts chapter 2, we have these two symbols here that point to the presence of God with them, wind and fire. And both of these are physical manifestations that point to the presence of God. Both of these, wind and fire, they are physical manifestations that point to the presence of God that was with them. Like in Ezekiel, when the dry bones, when the dry bones came, it became flesh, the wind is a sign of, of God's breath, his presence as spirit. And can you see the wind? No. But as Scots, we know that you can feel it. And then you can see its power and you know the impact of it and the effect. So too it is with the Holy Spirit. We cannot see him, but we can feel him. And we know when he's active and we can see what he is doing. And God's Spirit suddenly breaks into the room they are waiting in. And the wind is the first sign that they see. And they feel and they hear. And then the second one is, is fire from heaven. As, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And fire is the second physical manifestation that we see here. Fire is equated with God's presence in the Old Testament. Think of Moses in Exodus chapter 3. The burning bush. Or 
in Exodus, when, when the pillar of, of fire by day and night and smoke led them by day and night. It's a sign of God's presence with his people. Like many of you know, I, I had the pleasure of studying the, the, the 1949 Lewis revival where so many people came to faith during a short period of time. And it was incredible to be able to sit at the feet of those that were converted during the revival, that came to faith in Jesus Christ during that time, and to hear their testimonies, to hear the stories that they had to share, the experiences that they had. But do you know what amazed me the most? Was the humility that they told the stories with. That every time I asked them a question, all they would do was point back to Jesus and give him glory. One of the ladies who was converted on the first night of the revival, and man, some of the stories she shared, she talked about being able to see um, fire hovering above homes where there was prayer meetings happening. That's where you knew in the revival in 1949 where a prayer meeting was taking place. You would open your door and there was no streetlights, there was no phones back then. You would open your door and you would look up and down the street and sometimes you would see fire hovering above the house and they would know that in that house there was people praying and they would go and gather in prayer with them. And she was telling me these stories, the incredible things she experienced. And she just would, she would keep saying this phrase, but I, I don't know why you would want to hear anything from me. And she never lost her first love for her saviour. And, and what I want to say is this, Yes, we pray for signs and wonders, but never let them distract us from who this is all about. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Friends, church isn't an academic exercise. We are a spiritual people who serve a supernatural God. And what I think we see in this room where they're gathering in prayer in Acts chapter 2, where it says about the, the sound like a, a mighty rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the entire room. And then it talked about tongues um, as of fire dividing and resting upon them. And then it goes on in verse 4 to say, and they were all filled. There's three things that we see present happen here. The Spirit is around them, and then the Spirit rests upon them, and then they are filled by Him. He's around them, He manifests on them, and then they're filled by Him. And I love how it says that the Holy Spirit rested on each one of them. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit rested on those who were with Jesus the longest or who knew the most verses in the Bible or who was the most extroverted and eloquent speaker. But we see here how personal our God is, that he personally fills each person who belongs to him. And this isn't about a two-tier Christianity but about God's people. Not persons, but people being filled and empowered for what he has called his church to do. 
And this, this shouldn't be a divisive thing. What we see present in, already in the book of Acts, in the first chapter and the first four verses of the second chapter, is the presence of unity that the believers had together. Verse 14 of chapter 1, with one accord. Then we read this morning that they were all together in one place. The unity that is present here is beautiful. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, there are many gifts, but one Spirit. And Peter goes on in his sermon where he quotes Joel 2, the verses that we read at the beginning of our service. But it says that God longs to pour out his flesh upon all people. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will dream dreams and old men will see visions. Friends, this is biblical. Where are the prophecies that our sons and daughters are having? Where are the dreams that our young men are dreaming? Where are the visions that our old men and women are seeing? Lord, let it be so. Would you give us a movement of your Holy Spirit, Lord, in this place, we pray. Friends, we want to be a biblical church. We want to be biblical. So let's put aside our human skepticism and ask God to move how he wants to and as he said he will in his word. I wonder if any of you have heard about the 18th century Cambus Lang Revival. You've heard me speak of the Lewis Revival, but there was one that happened very close to here in Cambus Lang in the 18th century. And during my studies at Glasgow Uni, I had the, again, the privilege of, of doing some research into the Cambus Lang Revival. And in the 1740s, there was a minister there by the name of Reverend William McCulloch. And the revival kind of kicked off in 1742. And, and, and William McCulloch, the Reverend William McCulloch, he had a passion for the things of God. Albeit in his parish and in his church, he wasn't seeing much movement and activity of God. And at that time, in about 1741, there was what was called the Great American Awakening happening, happening across the Atlantic. And the Great American Awakening was a huge revival in America uh, where a man named Jonathan Edwards, not the athlete, but someone who lived in the 1740s, Jonathan Edwards, who was instrumental in the revival in America in the 1740s. And McCulloch had begun to hear of what God was doing in America, and he began dialogue with Edwards and other people, asking for accounts of what God was doing during this awakening that was taking place across the sea. And he was hearing about the people that were being saved, and the signs, and the wonders, and the amazing things that God was doing by his Spirit in God's people over there. And McCulloch one night after his sermon read out one of the accounts of the revival. And this is in about 1741, February of 1741. 
And after the sermon, like I said, he read out one of the accounts. And he began to do this. He began to tell his people what God was doing in another part of the world. And as he did this, people began to be stirred up. And, and they began to long to see God move in power in Cambus Lang. To see the things that were happening over in the Great Awakening in America. That they would take place in their own town, in their own streets, in their own church. People began to pray. McCulloch's sermons changed, and he began to preach with an expectation that God was going to move. Scholars would say that, that, that it was as if the air in Cambus Lang was pregnant with revival. It was just waiting to be birthed. It was just waiting to happen and to come. And like I said, this all began in about February of 1741. They began to pray in McCulloch's home. They began to have extra prayer meetings. Fast forward a year later, about February of 1742, they were still praying and longing. And they hadn't really seen anything. But they were waiting. Not twiddling their thumbs, but pressing into the presence of God, waiting for him to move. And in February of 1742, things began to happen. More people started to come to the prayer meeting. People started to come to McCulloch and say that they felt burdened by their sin and wondered what they could do to get this conviction of sin away from them. And then on the 18th of February, 1742, 50 people came to McCulloch after a sermon saying that they wanted to be born again. A year's worth of preaching, a year's worth of praying, a year's worth of waiting. And nearly a year later, on the 18th of February, 1742, after one of his sermons, 50 people came to him asking, what can we do to be born again? And in that moment, this birth for the hunger of God was released within the parish and the people. The hunger for God's presence grew and grew. And McCulloch began to preach every single day. Revival had begun. And by the end of May, 300 people had come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in June in 1742, George Whitfield came to Cambus Lang, and he'd also been in America. He was seeing what God was doing there, and he came to Cambus Lang and began to preach with McCulloch. And such was the hunger for God's word that the day Whitfield arrived, he had to preach three times for the people to try and quench the thirst and the hunger they had for the word of God. And after he finished preaching, McCulloch then began to preach. And he la preached one sermon lasting nearly two hours. And then after he preached, it was nearly one o'clock in the morning. And they tried to disband people and send them home. But they stayed in the field they were in. And they prayed and they praised and lifted the name of Jesus high. And then on the following Sunday, they had to get about three tents set up to try and accommodate the number of people that gathered. And scholars would say there was somewhere between 30 and 50,000 people gathered from all over Scotland just to hear the word of God being preached. Nearly 3,000 people took communion. 
See the power there is in waiting and in praying upon the promises of God. Like I said, Reverend McCulloch and a few faithful others, they just gathered to pray that God would move. And they prayed and they prayed and God was faithful. They heard of what God was doing in America. And they prayed, Lord, wouldn't you do it here? Wouldn't you do it in our church? Their faith increased and they longed to see God move for the glory of Jesus Christ and the salvation of souls in their community. This was all birthed out of a place of prayer and waiting upon the Lord. Friends, God cannot resist a hungry people because he said in his word, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Friends, are we hungry? Are we thirsty? Or are we in a spiritual slumber just sleepwalking to eternity? I'm done with good ideas. I'm done with extra meetings. I'm done with extra emails. Let us just have more of God. God, would you birth in us a hunger for your word and your presence and a longing to see you move in power just like you did in the Great Awakening in America, just like you did in Cambus Lang in 1742, just like you did in Lewis in 1949. God, wouldn't you do it again? Wouldn't you revive us, O Lord? And at Pentecost... What do we see happen? We see these physical manifestations as amazing as they are. But we see this huge harvest of souls. We see this huge harvest of souls. That's what we see in any great outpouring or awakening or revival is a harvest of souls. But revival doesn't start out in our communities. It starts in the house of God. Because you can only revive that which has had life. God, would you revive us again? And the main point of Pentecost is this. That they are filled with the Holy Spirit. God made his very dwelling among and in his people. Gone were the days where they had to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord so that God's presence would be with them. But God made his dwelling within his people all because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. We read in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, the verses that we read last week about John baptizing with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And in these verses that we've just read this morning, this is the first time that people had the Holy Spirit dwell within them. And they're empowered to carry out the mission that the church has been given, that Jesus begun. And this word fill means an initial endowment. What the New Testament shows us is that at the moment of regeneration, that is when someone gives their heart to Jesus, they have their own spiritual Pentecost because the Holy Spirit is birthed within them when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. But we also see that we're to continually be refilled, continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just an initial endowment. 
They are to continually be filled. When was the last time you prayed to the Lord, Holy Spirit, would you fall afresh upon me? Would you refill me, renew me, restore me, revive me? So we see in Acts chapter 4 is that they were all filled again with the Holy Spirit. But that time it was a refilling because they've already had the initial endowment here at Pentecost. God, fill on your church afresh, we pray, with your Holy Spirit. We need another Pentecost. We need a fresh touch of heaven. Like I said, the reality of it is, friends, that committees aren't going to bring about growth or renewal. More meetings and more strategies and more good ideas, as great as those things might seem, they aren't going to bring about renewal and reformation to the bride of Christ. What we need is more of God, more of His Holy Spirit, more of His refilling in His people, a fresh touch of heaven. So as we wait... To see what happens in the General Assembly within COVID life. As we wait, do not sit there twiddling your thumbs. Don't get lazy, but press into God. Call forth the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. God, you said... And that's not being irreverent. It's calling God to remember his covenant faithfulness. And we see the psalmist do it time and time and time again. God, do not forget. And friends, the amazing thing is that God cannot forget. And what the psalmist is doing when he's asking God to remember is he is calling forth the promises of God. And may we see more suddenly moments of God break in and break out in our lives and in our church and in our community. God, you are the God of suddenly moments. Suddenly, would you awaken us out of our spiritual slumber and piousness? Oh God, would you suddenly convict the hearts of those who preach a false gospel in the church of Scotland and who detract from your glory, Jesus? Oh God, would you suddenly awaken our parish to the things of your kingdom that you begun, Jesus, and that we see roll out in the giving of your Holy Spirit? Oh God, would you suddenly move in power, shake our lives, remind us who you have called us to be? God, in this moment, would you break down the walls we have put up that stop us coming to Jesus? Oh God, would we see souls being saved in our community for the glory of Jesus Christ? And God, would we see revival sweep through our land? Holy Spirit, light a fire in our hearts, we pray, where there is embers. Would you fan them into flame? And when, where there is already a bonfire burning bright, Lord, would it blaze even brighter and higher and warmer for the glory of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, fall afresh upon us, we pray. Amen. We're going to...